Chapter Twenty of Fresh Every Hour by John Peter Tuey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. E. Cartwright Jenkins, dramatic editor of the Star, was distinctly displeased with life as a whole and with humanity in general that morning. His professional dignity had been subjected to a series of frontal and flank attacks of great violence for nearly twenty-four hours, and the final insult had been handed out by the managing editor, who had just left the little cubbyhole designated by a painted sign as the Dramatic Department. E. Cartwright had read Jimmy's oleaginous epistle three times at the breakfast-table the morning before, and had left his home in a fine glow of self-approval. In fancy he walked upon the misty mountain-tops of high achievement, until he reached the star office, and then he found himself hurled suddenly into the well-known slough of despondence. Billy Parsons, the advertising manager, who met him in the elevator, started it. "'Well, old man,' Billy said laughingly, "'I see they got to you for a home run this morning with all the bases full.' E. Cartwright had bristled at this, and had expressed himself as not comprehending the esoteric significance of the allusion. Billy had then become more specific. "'They put it over on you,' he replied. "'That press agent fellow, with Olga Stefano, I mean.' "'Put it over on me?' the dramatic editor had returned. "'I don't exactly understand what you mean.' "'Say, old dear,' Billy had sarcastically responded, it's a worse case than I thought it was at first. You'd ought to see a doctor." E. Cartwright, who abhorred slang and those who used it, had become quite indignant at this, and had insisted upon a clear explanation of what Billy Parsons meant. The latter gentleman obliged him with one. He pointed out, with great clarity, the trick that Jimmy Martin had played on the astute and dignified dramatic editor. He dwelt upon the number of times the name Madame Stefano had been cunningly inserted into the correspondence, and proved that the whole affair was a carefully calculated scheme for the exploitation of that lady. The blinders of self-esteem, having thus been torn from the eyes of the dramatic editor, that gentleman developed a decided distaste for further discussion of the subject, and immured himself in his cramped office where he devoted himself to bitter rumination. Throughout the day his fellow labourers in the field of journalism seemed to take a malicious delight in playfully taunting him. On the way home for dinner he had met the dramatic editor of the rival Inquirer, and that worthy had added to his fury by remarking with a twinkle in his eye, "'That was a mighty interesting symposium on Stefano you ran this morning, Jenkins.' At dinner he startled his sedate and shrinking wife by launching into a profane and pungent diatribe on the subject of press agents and announced his determination to start a nationwide movement for their suppression and final extermination. He declared, in loud and ringing tones, that nothing but total annihilation of the entire tribe would at all satisfy his wishes in the matter. The sting of the affair had rankled in his breast when he came down to the office on the following morning. When Nathan, the managing editor, looked in on him, he was viciously assailing the dramatic page of a New York Sunday newspaper, with a large pair of shears, and wishing for a moment, as he clipped out items of theatrical information, that it was one Jimmy Martin, instead of an innocent sheet of paper, that he was attacking. "'Say, Jenkins,' Nathan remarked casually, 
I've got a little request to make of your Miss Slosson, who's running this damned pie contest. It closes today, you know. Is getting swamped downstairs, and has sent out an S.O.S. to this floor for assistance. There's nobody around yet but you. I wish you'd drop down there for an hour or so and give her a hand. Just as soon as one of the cubs show up, I'll send him down to relieve you. E. Cartwright reeled under this final blow to his dignity. The ends of his iron-gray walrus moustache dropped a full half-inch as he looked up, bewildered. "'Pie contest, Miss Slosson?' he mumbled. "'What could I possibly do in connection with that, or with her?' "'Oh, just help her and her assistant unwrap and tag some of the entries,' replied Nathan in a matter-of-fact tone, as he turned quickly to suppress a smile and hurried out of the tiny room. E. Cartwright uttered a low moan expressive of profound and abysmal woe as he slipped on his coat and prepared to descend to Miss Slosson's department. Jimmy and his fellow conspirator found Miss Slosson in her office almost completely hidden by parcels containing pies. They did not notice E. Cartwright at first. That high authority on the spoken and written drama was in the throes of unutterable and indescribable mental anguish, at a table fifty feet away, untying innumerable bundles, and humming a hymn of hate, directed at newspaper work in general, and soulless managing editors in particular. The small boy, grunting under the weight of the wooden box, deposited the burden on the table. "'Oh, there you are, Mr. Martin,' gurgled Miss Slosson, coming forward and surveying the box with interest. And what have we here? That's the little old pie I told you I'd have the madame send on, replied Jimmy glibly. She made a mistake and sent it to the theatre. It just came by express a half an hour ago, right through from Chicago. Isn't that perfectly wonderful? rhapsodized the pie editor. What did dear madame Stefano say when you spoke to her over the phone? Jimmy paused for a moment before he replied. He had caught a glimpse of the star's dramatic editor, who had turned and was approaching them. He clutched Tom Wilson's arm. "'What did she say?' he said abstractedly. "'What did she say? Why, she said, she said she'd turn down a drama league luncheon, and go right out in the kitchen and slip into a gingham apron, and believe me, if you knew how much she thinks of the drama league, you'd know that was some concession.' E. Cartwright hadn't seen them yet. He was apparently almost oblivious of his surroundings, as he walked slowly towards Miss Slosson. "'I realize that,' the pie editor was saying. "'She has a great big generous nature, I'm sure, and to think of her being so domesticated, too. Oh, Mr. Martin, I suppose you know Mr. Jenkins, our dramatic editor. He's kindly volunteered to help me in the closing hours of the contest.' Jimmy straightened up and assumed his most ingratiating smile. He had met the distinguished critic only once, several years before, and he was fairly certain that he would not be remembered. "'I had the honour of an introduction several seasons ago,' he said suavely, "'but it is possible that Mr. Jenkins does not recall me.' E. Cartwright had given an unconscious start at the sound of the name Martin but he seemed to have no conscious knowledge of Jimmy's identity. He smiled sadly. "'I don't seem to place you,' he remarked, with a woebegone attempt at civility. 
"'Mr. Martin is Madame Stefano's advance manager,' broke in Miss Slosson. "'The dear Madame has entered a pie in our little contest through him.' Mr. Jenkins' facial aspect underwent an instantaneous change. He narrowed his eyes, and corrugated his brows, and gave other external indications of rapidly mounting wrath. Also his cheeks paled, and it may be further stated that his rather gangling frame became suddenly taut and vibrant. He eyed Jimmy for fully ten seconds, and then turned to Miss Slosson. "'It is my duty to inform you, madame,' he said in a voice that was tense with emotion, that this person is a press agent who will use you for his own selfish ends, a paid hireling of an unscrupulous management which has only one purpose in mind, deceit and rank trickery. Jimmy started to expostulate, but Tom Wilson gave him a vicious elbow-jab which effectively cut off any utterance on his part. Miss Slosson smiled serenely. "'Don't be too hard on him, dear Mr. Jenkins,' she remonstrated. "'He has been a great help in our effort to raise the general tone of culinary excellence. He represents a most estimable lady, and if she gets a little publicity out of it, she deserves it, after all the trouble she has gone to, baking a pie with her own hands, and sending it on here all the way from Chicago. We mustn't be too selfish.' "'I warn you, madame, that there is fraud here some place,' persisted the dramatic editor. "'Downright fraud and deception. These gentlemen have a depraved talent for that sort of thing.' "'Nonsense!' broke in the pie editor, beckoning to an office boy, whose job it was to open such entries as were encased in substantial packages. As the youngster assailed the box, she chirruped on. "'I'm using another picture of the dear lady in tomorrow's paper, Mr. Martin, and I'll announce the arrival of her contribution in the opening paragraph. I'm just crazy to see it. Quite a large box, isn't it?' "'Yes,' murmured Jimmy. She certainly seems to have done the thing up brown." He was the picture of serene self-satisfaction, as he watched the lid coming off the box. The prospect of triumphing over E. Cartwright a second time filled him with an almost ecstatic joy. When the lid was removed, Mr. Jenkins darted toward the box and pulled out the tufts of crumbled newspapers. He carefully unfolded one and looked at it. Jimmy caught Tom Wilson's eye at this juncture, and winked his off-eye prodigiously. E. Cartwright, upon observing the heading and the date-line in the paper, threw it down impatiently, and began nervously to chew the ends of his moustache. "'We've got old George B. Grouch's goat all right,' confided Jimmy behind his hand. Miss Slosson untied the string and lifted out the pie, which was tightly swathed in a piece of old linen. She undid the wrapping slowly, while the interested spectators gathered close around her. The careful young woman in the bake-shop had placed a piece of cardboard over the top of the deep china dish, and when this was removed, Miss Slosson positively bubbled with delight as she caught sight of the golden-brown crust of the wonderful pie. "'It looks perfectly heavenly,' she remarked. "'Perfectly heavenly!' "'A masterpiece!' broke in the hitherto silent Mr. Wilson. "'I told you she'd bake one that would win in a walk,' was Jimmy's contribution to the glad chorus of acclaim. E. Cartwright didn't have a word to say. 
He stood with his hands on his hips, watching the two press agents with a look that still betrayed cynical distrust. "'Won't you please put it over there on that little table all by itself, Mr. Jenkins?' said Miss Slosson. "'It certainly deserves a place of honor." Mr. Jenkins grunted and hesitated for a moment. He was too chivalrous at heart, however, to refuse to obey a lady's behest, no matter how much humiliation he might suffer. He grasped both sides of the pie-dish firmly, lifted it high in the air, and began to turn. Jimmy was looking at him with ill-concealed delight. As he watched, a look of intense agony spread over the dramatic editor's face. The next instant that gentleman dropped the pie with a sharp cry of pain. "'It's hot!' he screamed. "'Red hot!' The dish smashed into a hundred pieces on the counter, and the surrounding atmosphere was filled with flying fragments of pie. Jimmy felt something warm and sticky on his face, and he noticed with dismay that the front of Miss Slosson's silk dress was a sorry-looking mess. Tom Wilson's clothes were smeared with debris, too. E. Cartwright was wiping apple-juice out of both eyes, and uttering words that caused the pulse-beats of Madame Stefano's personal representative to diminish almost to the vanishing point. "'A pair of damned fakers!' he shouted. "'Baked in Chicago, eh? And shipped on here by express. It hasn't been out of the oven an hour. Thought they'd put one over on us again, did they? I know em. I know em. The tragic climax of Jimmy's little three-act comedy came with such unexpected suddenness that he stood in the midst of the tumult and the shouting like one transfixed. It was a rout, an utter and complete defeat, the most disastrous and the most humiliating of his career. In a flash he pictured it becoming a classic anecdote that would be bandied to and fro by his professional brethren in Pullman smoking-rooms and theatre offices for years without number. He looked up and about him. Enemies were surging toward him from all directions, apparently bent on his destruction. And then he remembered Tom Wilson. He turned around. That worthy had departed as if on the wings of the morning. The dishevelled and distraught editor had apparently exhausted his vocabulary of vituperation, and was approaching him with a savage look in his eye, flanked on one side by a distinguished-looking gentleman, with a most authoritative manner, who had rushed to the scene from a nearby office. Jimmy realized that it was no place or time for heroics. He turned and fled precipitately down an unencumbered aisle in the general direction of the open air. He caught up with Tom Wilson two blocks down the avenue. That gentleman was still going strong, and seemed to need no pacemaker. "'The first bet I ever overlooked, Tom,' he puffed, as he swung alongside. "'What'll we do?' "'What'll we do?' facetiously echoed the other, gripping him firmly by the arm and dragging him along. "'Where'll we hide, you mean?' End of chapter 20